Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, I want to talk to you about one of the most important things in your spiritual life. Now, if I were to just ask you, what do you think, what would you say is like the most important thing you would want to tell somebody if they were saying, I really want to grow spiritually, what are the things that you would tell them? I like that. Read your Bible. Pray. The Apostle Paul actually does this. I think he's somebody we should listen to, of course. Through the Holy Spirit, God used him to write almost half of the New Testament. He saw Jesus, went to heaven, came back, started more churches than any of the other apostles in his missionary journeys. Uh, just tremendous, tremendous man of God, used by God. And in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 13, this is going to be our springboard text for today. I'll keep coming back to it. It says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Now, this is, this is, not, this is kind of like his groundwork, but he isn't there yet. But notice what he says. He said, I haven't apprehended or I have not arrived. Now, remember, he wrote almost half the New Testament. He went to heaven, came back. Jesus talked to him, knocked him off his donkey. I mean, he's got, he's got some stuff going for him. But he says, I have not arrived. Here's the deal. If at any point we become content with our spiritual life, we are in trouble. There always has to be this desire for more. Because no matter where we are in God, there is so much more. In fact, in Romans, it says it takes you from faith to faith. So the faith that you have today is not enough. If you're going to fulfill your destiny, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, you need more faith. He's going to take you from faith to faith. We need to keep growing spiritually. And there is never a point where that stops. And, and I could say today, I am as hungry to grow and as hungry for more of God as I have ever been. And if we're not in that spot where we're like, I need more, I am not content, I'm not happy, then we're not in a good spot. Paul says, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived yet. He says, I want more. But this one thing I do. Now, here's the interesting thing about his one thing. It's two things. He says this one thing, but really his one thing is two things. Got that? So here it is. Forgetting those things that are behind, one part, and reaching towards those things that are ahead. To start with, let's talk about putting the past behind. Forgetting those things that are behind. Now, it's kind of easy. Right away, we'll think, well, you know, there's some bad things. But we even need to, in a sense, leave behind the good things. Because here's what can happen. We can go, you know, God did this 10 years ago. And we can become museum keepers of what God has done. But what God's looking for is us to be pioneers and to keep going. So even the great things that God's done, we can't camp in those things. 
if, if the greatest thing that ever happened to you spiritually happened 10 years ago, that's not a good sign. So we need to be forgetting. Sometimes we need to like not camp on great things that happen because I've met so many people that are like, man, back in the 70s or back when this happened and back when that happened. No, we need to keep on going, keep on reaching. But then there's other things. Now, it can be life that just happens. It can be a bad decision we made. It can be something that people did. It can be something that came from the devil. There's all sorts of things. And we can look at a point in our life and we can think that's our story. In the Bible, there's a little book, just four chapters. You can read it in 10 to 12 minutes. It's the book of Ruth. And it starts out with a woman by the name of Naomi. She and her husband and two sons leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Now, Moab is a, a foreign nation. They worship idols. And they're there for 10 years. But during those 10 years, her two sons marry, but her husband dies. And then each of her sons die. And she hears things are good back in Israel. So she's going to go back. One of her daughter-in-laws stays. The other one goes with her. And she arrives in Bethlehem. And she says, do not call me Naomi. Now, by the way, the name Naomi means favored of God. But call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me home again empty. And she says, the Almighty has afflicted me. And she has got this idea that her life is over. In fact, she has told her daughter-in-laws, I have nothing, I have nothing to offer. My life is over. But through her daughter-in-law, Ruth, God uses Ruth to rejuvenate her life because God's got a plan for her. God's plan for this woman, Naomi, is that she is going to be King David's great, great, great grandmother and great, 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 great grandmother to Jesus. But she thinks her life's over. But God uses this situation to bring joy, relationship, purpose, and legacy back into her life. But she took a photograph and thought, this is my life forever. And so often we do that. We will look at one moment in our life and we'll think, that's it. This is my life. It's over. Bad decisions. David and Bathsheba made some bad decisions. They commit adultery. Then King David has her husband murdered by the sword of the Ammonites. But here's what I think is great. They repent. God blesses them, gives them another son by the name of Solomon. And God actually names him loved of the Lord. And they teach their son about how to avoid sexual immorality. And it's in your Bible. So here's this couple that was an absolute, that messed up as big as you could mess up. And God has been using them for 3,000 years to teach us how to not do what they did. You could take a picture of David at one point and think, man, it's over. But it wasn't over. Now, notice this. What David did is he took responsibility. You can read about it in Psalms 51. I'm not going to have you turn there. But so often we rationalize. Right? But taking responsibility is a prerequisite for change. You cannot change if it's somebody else's fault. You know, I'm like this because. Excuses are the crutches of the uncommitted. You'll never change 
as long as you make excuses or tolerate something. You know, the reason that I'm overweight is because of my DNA. Listen, it's chocolate, 100% chocolate. I guarantee it's the truth. It is chocolate. But if, if I don't take responsibility, nothing's going to change. Nothing will change. You know, we think about Samson. Delilah was strategically sent, literally from Satan, to distract Samson. She convinces him to compromise. And the result is she, she robbed him of the gift that God had given him. Samson was the strongest man that ever lived. But when we think about Samson, we remember him for his weaknesses. That's what we remember him for. Whether somebody is pushing you in the wrong direction, distracting you from your goals, dragging you down. Listen, the devil wants to use people to get you off from your purpose. God wants you to be reaching for what's ahead, but the devil will try to distract you. I want you to listen to this. This is Proverbs chapter six. The commandment is a lamp, the law a light. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from. And it mentions the evil woman. How many know there's lots of evil men? So here's what this is saying. This is saying God's word is to give you the wisdom to know that there are certain people that you should not allow access into your life. Because when God wants to bless you, listen, one of the premier things that God does is he brings somebody into your life to encourage you spiritually. And when the devil wants to attack you, one of his premier strategies is to bring somebody into your life to bring compromise. And that's exactly what Delilah did with Samson. She brought that compromise. And it came to the point where because of what he was doing, he could not reach for what God had for him. I didn't tell this story last, last service, but I, I feel like I'll tell it because I want to hear it again. You may have heard it, but I want to hear it again myself. So, so we were, we were uh, after a service, and I almost always stick around and talk with people and, and pray with people. And, and a man came up and said, Pastor, Pastor, help me. He says, uh, my, 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 wharf, my wife, she, she's, just, she's divorcing me. And I said, well, what's the problem? What's the deal? I said, what'd you do? I did. I said, what'd you do? And, and, and he said nothing. And I thought, this is a typical guy, and he just doesn't have a clue. That's what I thought. Right? He just doesn't have, he did, but he doesn't have a clue. And I said, well, you did something. And he says, no, my, 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 my wife just hates me. And his wife was not very far away. And, and I said, bring your wife over here. And she, she comes, and, and, and I said, uh, what, what's going on with your marriage? She says, I'm divorcing him. And, and I said, why? She says, I hate him. <laughs> well, okay. And I said, well, what did he do? She said, he's a man. This is one of my spiritual gifts, by the way. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> she hates him because he's a man. All right. And, 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 back, and she added, and she says, and I hate you. Like I said, my spiritual gift, I discerned immediately. <laughs> a man has done something to her. Some man did something. And so I said to her, I said, well, what, what, what man hurt you? What man abused you? She says, nobody. And I said, you just hate all men for no reason? I said, no, something happened somewhere. Tell me, what happened to you? And it comes out as uh, she's a young girl, 
a member of their extended family, was sexually abusing her for a period of about five years. And uh, I said to her, I said, you, you realize your husband loves you. I said, you have two beautiful children. I said, but you cannot see what you have because you're so full of the past. And the illustration I gave her was this. I said, God's got great things for you. I said, but your hands are full of yesterday. And as long as your hands are full of yesterday, you cannot take hold of what God has got for you in your future. So I talked to her for probably five minutes. And I finally said, would you be willing to forgive that person? They don't deserve it. Well, you know, not, you don't forgive them because they deserve it. And by the way, when you forgive somebody, they don't get free, you do. You stop hauling them around in all your todays. So finally she agreed to, 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 to pray. And so I said, repeat this prayer after me. And so I said, in Jesus' name, I forgive that person. And she said, in Jesus' name, I forgive that person. And, and I, I know most of the time you, you, know, you, you close your eyes, but I didn't. Because Jesus said to watch and pray. So I was watching. She didn't close her eyes, eyes either. Right? Her eyes were open and she was looking at me. And I thought, if looks could kill, I would be dead. Right? We prayed the prayer. And, and if, I, if I ever thought a prayer did not work, that was it. I mean, I'm serious. I'm, I'm like, that did not take. Okay? <laughs> it didn't take. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that, you know, as a pastor, but it, that's what I thought. Okay. So it's probably four, maybe six weeks later, and I look over to the right, and about five rows back, there they sit. And she's got her arm around him. Not him, arm around her. Her arm is around him. And I keep on, I'm preaching, but I was checking it out, you know, kind of so. <laughs> So often, you know, I'm checking out and, and lo and behold, pretty soon she's up and I think she's like giving him a kiss on the cheek. And I'm thinking, this is church. Cut it out. You know? <laughs> well, well, long story short, I talked to him and she says, I do not know what happened. He said, she said, but when, when I prayed that prayer, she said, something started to change on the inside of me. I saw my boys different. I saw my husband different. I see men different. You know what happened? God had great things for her, but she had to let go of yesterday in order to grab a hold of what God had for her today. And so often we hold our past, and because we hold on to it, it affects our todays. Joseph is a great example of this. Now, Joseph's brothers hate him, and they hate him not because of anything really he's done, but because his father has shown him favoritism. You know, and if you... If, if you want to have some strife in your house, show favoritism to one child over another. That doesn't mean you do the same thing with every child, because every child's different, right? One's athletic, another one's musical. You know, you're going to do different things, but you love everyone the same. But his brothers hate him, and ultimately what they do, they beat him up, they throw him in a pit, and then they sell him as a slave to a band of Ishmaelites that are passing by. He's taken down to Egypt, and he's sold into slavery, and he's purchased by a man by the name of Potiphar. 
And at that time, Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He's working for Potiphar, and God is blessing everything Joseph does. And Potiphar notices, man, his household, everything about his house begins to multiply. And so he just gives more and more responsibility to Joseph. And finally, Joseph runs everything. And the Bible says all that Potiphar knows is the food that he eats. But Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, and he runs. But she lies and has him thrown in prison. And so now he's in a dungeon, and he's there for an extended period of time. Eventually, two of the king's servants are there. Each has a dream. He interprets their dream. They leave and forget about him. But two years later, when Pharaoh has a dream, Joseph is remembered, and he's brought before Pharaoh. He interprets the dream, and I mentioned this, I think, a week or two ago, and God gave him wisdom and favor, and he's promoted, woke up in the dungeon, goes to bed the prime minister of Egypt. They give him a wife. The king, the Bible says that the Pharaoh gives him a wife. And it's the wife of the priest of An, and his name is Potiphar. He's been promoted. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said this is the same Potiphar. So now his wife is the son of Potiphar, the daughter of the woman who tried to seduce him, lied about him, and got him thrown in prison. By the way, you think you have mother-in-law problems? You have no idea. You have no idea at all. Now, now, here's what I think is very, very interesting. His family ends up coming. There is no record that Joseph did anything to get even with his mother-in-law. There is no record. In fact, the record shows the exact opposite. He did everything he possibly could to bless and to help his brothers that had sold him as a slave, beaten him up and thrown through him in a pit. He has two sons in the first seven years. The first one of the sons he names Manasseh, which means forgetting. This is what he says. He says, the Lord's caused me to forget all the troubles that I've had. And then another son is born. He calls him Ephraim, which means fruitful. And he says, the Lord has caused me to be fruitful even in a foreign land. Listen, if you can let go of the past, you can be fruitful today. But if you drag your past with you, it's really, really almost impossible to have a great and a fruitful life. See, God's plan for you is that things just get better and better, honestly. Proverbs 4, 18. But the past of the, of the just is like the shining sun that shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. It's just supposed to get better and better. The past is a dead issue. And we can't gain any momentum moving towards tomorrow if we're dragging our past. Unfortunately, that's what so many of us do. We drag the past with us wherever we go. And as a result, we do not make any progress. Notice Paul said, I'm forgetting, but then I'm reaching for what God has for me in the future. And no matter where you've been, God's got something great for you in the future. I, I like to think of it like driving a car. When you drive a car, you've got a huge windshield but you have a small rearview mirror. But if you focus on the rearview mirror, you are going to crash in the future. And in life, you cannot focus on that rearview mirror. You've got to focus on what's ahead. God has great things ahead for you. You release and you forgive. If you, if you do not release 
If you stay bound by the thing of the past, your future ends up literally being a repeat of the past. There's a great example of this. Peter denies Jesus. Then Jesus rose from the dead. He appears to the disciples. And this is what Peter says. I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Now, he knows that Jesus is, number one, the Son of God. He knows Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has appeared to him. And what does he want to do? He wants to go fishing. You know why? Because he is still holding on to the fact that he renounced Jesus. And Jesus literally comes and deals with that so that he can grab hold of the future that God has for them. Now, you may not go fishing, but you know what? If you do not release the past, you won't grab hold of the future. And your past might be depression, drugs, alcohol, gangs, wrong friends, coasting through life, shopping, workaholic, whatever it was. You will go back to your past when you do not grab hold of what God has for you in the future. And if your hands are full of yesterday, you can't grab hold of what God has. And so often, this is what we do. We let a chapter in our life become the book. We let something that happened become our life. We're like, well, that's just my life. I'm just a day late and a dollar short. I take two steps forward, but three backwards. If anything bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. But Romans 8, 28 says this. We know that all things work together for the good of those that are called of God, that love God and are called according to his purpose. In other words, no matter where you've been, what you've done, God will use it for good. God didn't cause it. It wasn't good, but God will get good out of it. You say, yeah, but I've been through all these bad things. Yeah, God will use you. His grace will be on you and he will literally heal you so that you will be able to minister to other people that are in that exact same condition. Remember, Joseph for 13 years was a slave or in prison. Moses was 40 years on the backside of a desert. David spent 10 years with King Saul trying to kill him. The Bible says he was his enemy and sought to kill him every day. Don't let a chapter in your life be your whole life. Tyler Perry is a famous actor, producer, screenwriter. But if you were to grab just a chapter of Perry's story, it would read something like this. A young boy born into extreme poverty had an abusive father. Another chapter when he's 28 years old would read something like this. He's living in his car, homeless, without enough to eat. But that's not the end of the story. Bill Gates is currently one of the richest people in the world. If you were to read just a chapter of his story and found him as a young entrepreneur, you'd see that his first company called Thraftodata failed miserably, went bankrupt. Oprah Winfrey is now fam the famous all-time queen of television talk shows. But one chapter in her story would read about a young girl who was repeatedly molested sexually by a cousin, an uncle, and a family friend who ran away from home and at age 14 gave birth to a baby boy who died shortly, shortly after his birth. But how many know that was not the end of the story? There's so many we could talk about. Steven Spielberg, 
one of the most prolific filmmakers of all time. If you'd read a chapter of his story, it would read like this. As a young man, he was rejected by the USC School of Semantic Arts twice. Michael Jordan, perhaps the greatest basketball player of all time, was turned down by his high school, high school basketball coach. He said, you're not good enough to make the team. He wisely said, what do I need to do? And the coach said, you need to get the basics down. And he went home and practiced his shooting and dribbling and passing hour after hour. What I want to tell you is this. There may be right now a snapshot that somebody could take of your life. And it would not look good. But that snapshot, it's just a chapter. Maybe it's even just a page. Because there is the rest of the story. And the Bible says that God is working together for your good. And you say, I don't see it. Joseph didn't see it either. But God positioned him exactly where he needed to be for the promotion that was going to come in his life. One of the keys in many people's lives is to forgive. Mark 11, verse 25, has three all-inclusive statements in it. It says, whenever you pray, and other translations say every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Three all-inclusive statements. Every time, anyone, anything. Every time, anyone, anything. Now notice what Jesus said, when you pray, forgive. So this is what it tells me. That anyone can forgive anyone of anything in two minutes. It does not need to take 25 years. You can be free today. You can be free before you leave this service. You say, but what they did wasn't right. That's why you need to forgive them because it wasn't right. But forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. If it was a feeling, you could not forgive in two minutes. But because it's a decision, you can forgive. And this is what you do. Afterwards, you just say, God, I forgive them, I release them, and I turn them over to you. And then you pray for them. Now, this is what the Bible says. In fact, Paul said, enlarge our hearts. And literally, when you pray for somebody, God will eventually enlarge your heart. You say, what does that mean? That means God will give you understanding about that person. God will give you compassion for that person. So somebody says, how long should I pray for him? Until there's no more bad feelings. You just pray for him every day. Just keep praying for him. Keep praying for him. Keep praying for him. Not that they have a car wreck. Not that they get cancer. You pray God bless them. You pray God reveal himself to them. You pray God deliver them. You pray for their good. And over time, God will do something on the inside of you. But what happens when you forgive is you are released. Your hands are suddenly empty from the past. And you can grab hold of what God has for you in the future. One more thought as we're closing. Ephesians 6 in verse 12. says, for we do not fight against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, evil rulers of the unseen world, those satanic beings of, and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world and against a huge number of wicked spirits in the spirit world. 
So the truth is, the enemy is never a person. The enemy is a demonic force behind the person. And we've said this before, but the person that hurts you, they hurt you because they're, they're hurt. Hurting people hurt people. They're hurting. And they're really, the Bible says they're an instrument in the devil's hand. The real enemy is not a person of flesh and blood, but against a person or a spirit without a body. It's that evil satanic force. But what we do very often is we think it's the person. And it's like the devil. How many have ever seen a bullfight? Like on television even. Come on. Now, now the, the matador's out there, and he's got his little red cloth there, and he's waving it at the bull. And the bull, you know what the bull thinks? The bull thinks that's the enemy. So he charges, and he just steps aside. And then the bull charges, and he just steps aside. And the bull charges, and he steps aside. And, and you may not know this if you've just seen it on television, but the goal is to kill the bull. And that matador, he will take that sword eventually. And his goal is to kill that bull. See, that's what the devil wants to do. He has you chasing somebody, making you think that person, what they did, that's the enemy. But they're not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. And if you will keep on chasing that person, the devil's goal is to kill you spiritually, to keep you from your destiny, to keep you from peace, to keep you from victory, to keep you from the joy, from the kingdom of God. That's his goal. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And as long as we're chasing the person, instead of recognizing who the real enemy is, we will just keep on going after and going after and going after and going after that red piece of cloth. That person, and that person is not the problem. The problem is the devil who's manipulating. In fact, God says this. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So this is what God wants every one of us to do. He says, you forgive. You forgive them, and you release them, and you pray for them. And now here's what's going to happen. It could be, it could be that they're going to go to Jesus and they're going to repent, they're going to get saved, and they're going to get forgiven, just like you were forgiven. How many of you know you've been forgiven of a whole lot? And it could be they're going to go to Jesus, you're praying for them, and they may get forgiven, and everything that they did may end up under the blood. But if not, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, it could be that they're going to reap what they've sown on earth. But if they don't, it doesn't matter because there is a judgment day. There is a judgment day in which every wrong will be set right. And one way or the other, it's going to be taken care of. It's going to be taken care of through the blood of the Lamb, through the sacrifice of Jesus. They're going to reap on this earth or that's going to come up on judgment day. But one thing we know this, he is the righteous judge. He's the righteous judge. And we can put anything into his hands. And when we forgive, we're not saying what they did was right. We're saying, I commit this to God, and I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to believe for good things in their life. That's, that's what happens when you forgive. You get set free, and you turn them over to the one who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? 
Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.